HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. The following is a message from Jones Family Farms. Looking for that perfect Christmas tree this season? What about the perfect wine to go with your holiday dinner? Look no further than Jones Family Farm, a 400-acre working farm in Connecticut. Jones Family Farms is as passionate about education as it is about farming. Whether you're picking fresh strawberries or exploring local wines, we hope you're inspired to learn more about Connecticut farming. For more information, visit www.jonesfamilyfarms.com. Thank you to our sponsor. This is Severin. I'm here with Tim. We are talking about young farmer issues. This is another episode of Young Farmer Radio, Greenhorn Radio. Tim, how's it going over there? It's going very well. Thank you. Tell us where you are right now. Uh, currently, I'm in Cazenovia, New York, which is uh, uh, sort of central New York near Syracuse, and I'm at Gray Rock Farm, which is uh, a 270-acre, full-year, full-food-style farm that I'm going to be starting at full-time uh, in January. I'm just doing some part-time stuff while I move stuff back and forth from the farm I used to be at. So, now, I've already had... Uh, the, this is now the second um, Cazenovia interview, because I interviewed right. Matt already. Oh, you got Matt? <laughs> uh-huh. He's already in the archive. He didn't tell you that? Well, I didn't, I didn't, I, I knew that he was on, had a blog posting or something on there. Well, anyway, the point of the story is that uh, Matt and Tim are both uh, Essex, Essex Farm alumna, and as such are very interesting specimens to study. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, I'll stop teasing now. Tim, do you want to tell everybody about your um, kind of professional trajectory into agriculture and how it landed you out there in the remote reaches of western New York? Uh, sure, yeah. I, uh, for a while, post-college, had worked a number of different jobs in, uh, like in New York and Louisiana and Hawaii, and there were jobs that were kind of focused on uh, a, a lot were outdoor, outdoor work, like trail work or habitat management or outdoor education. Um, and some education programs in schools as well. And uh, I was interested in trying to combine some of those things but also produce something really directly, uh, which at that time, I mean, something that felt very tangible was important to me. And uh, I started exploring the idea of farming, which I got actually into in 2006 at a vegetable CSA in the Hudson Valley, Philly's Bridge Farm, which is a fairly small vegetable CSA. We did have some chickens and, and sheep, but mostly it was all veggie. Um, I was there for about a season, and then I ended up actually going to Missouri and for a couple of years was just farming part-time while I was doing a master's program in rural sociology with a focus on agriculture and natural resources. Um, I knew I wanted to keep my hands in farming, so during summers and 
for my thesis research, I was at a farm. Uh, and then I, I just liked farming better in the end. And so I got myself to Essex Farm, which is a fairly fairly intensive arrangement at that time of, of full-year work uh, with the livestock, the dairy, the uh, draft horses, the vegetables and grains and hay and all of that. And I figured that was the best way to really dive in and see, okay, you know, I, th- I thought I liked farming and I wanted to test myself and see if I really did. And, and I did. So, so now I'm moving over to this farm to manage for the year for 2012 and see what happens from there. So, so you're another one of these um, highly overeducated young farmers, of which yes. we have so many of in our um, movement. But tell tell us what you brought from your your sociology, uh, your study of sociology, and what that's what, what that's brought you in terms of you know moving to a new place. Like, what are you bringing to that new place? Hmm. Um. What did it bring me? <laughs> uh, like I said, I mean, there was a big focus on agriculture and natural resources, so. Through some of the papers I got to be involved in or different professors I met and the work that they did with farmers in Missouri, I'm, I definitely, I think I got sensitized to, I'd say, an academic perspective on what sustainable agriculture is, um, which which is always interesting to go from, you know, a, a sort of a reading-based perspective on something or even an interview-based one to doing it yourself. I don't, I don't know what I can say about specifically what I bring into it. Um, I guess... I guess one thing is that there was a big focus in my department also on new development and uh, having to focus on how you relate as a farm and a farmer to to your community, whether that's other farmers in the area and if you're networking with them for hay or meat or some sort of either bartering or directly selling their product at your, at your site or uh, to larger community things if you're involved in education programs with some schools nearby or, you know, you're on the volunteer fire department or whatever, just figuring out how you exist both knowing that you have to have a business that you need to run and that, that takes a lot of your time and energy, but knowing that you want to be a part of a, a larger community. So in essence, and this is particularly relevant, I just come from New York City. We had a big march uh, to occupy Zuccotti Park with a bunch of farmers. All um, right. You know, no man is an island, and no farm is yeah. an island, even right. though sometimes it seems it seems like the farm is a self-contained unit. In fact, it is yeah. not. Yes, and that would be the silly kind of thinking. Yeah, it's just definitely uh, being able to think systematically and, and and put yourself in both as as an individual, which is very important, but also as 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 part of the larger ecology of the land and the community and all that kind of stuff is is really important. And we, I guess we, you know, we have a joke sort of at Ethics Farm. We started talking about doable agriculture instead of sustainable agriculture, which was, you know, there's a lot of merit to the, some of the tenets of sustainability, and they're really fun to think about and to, to, to work towards, but sometimes you also have to just do what you can do. Do what you can do and understand that doing what you can do is made more possible by working together. I feel like the example of Essex, the number of different farms that work together and, and the farms that have kind of popped up around are a really mm-hmm. good expression of the kind of new community dynamic. Yeah. Uh, in our in our generation, yeah. Are yeah, you do you have the same kind of uh, young farmer community up where you are now? In Casanova, I think there that there is quite a good community. As far as young farmer community, I'm not sure. Like I said, I've just started out here doing some part time work this fall, and I'll be here more full time starting in the first week of January. But there's definitely a good uh, a good farming community. I've traveled around here with Matt, who's a farmer at Gray Rock, and. Um, you know, he's buying some beef from, from somebody nearby when he needs to get more animals in his herd or, 
we get cheeses from somewhere else or we're selling some mushrooms that someone else is doing or we're getting honey from somewhere else in addition to having some of our own bees. So there's definitely a really good farming community. Um, I don't know much as far as the demographics, though, you know, the age of all the different farmers that are involved in that. And where are your horses? My horses are in two different places. My horses are are very cosmopolitan at this point there. <laughs> One is still at Essex Farm, and I'll be moving him out here. Uh, that's Bear. I'll be moving Bear out here in, in a week or two to Casanova. Uh, J.D. is in Maryland with a family, uh, an incredibly generous family, who is trying to take care of him and get him back to working order. He was injured in the fall of 2010, so a little over a year ago, and, and has been on the mend, but is not workable yet. He's been lame. He had some nerve damage from a, what we think was nerve damage from a barbed wire incident, but it's uncertain whether or not he'll come back to working condition. So fingers crossed that this family is, is doing their best to get him back in working order. How did you... Wow, that's so nice of them. How did, how did that a, happen? Yeah. Like the connection, not the injury. Um, how, do, how do I know that family? Yeah. They're, they are uh, involved with uh, Essex Farm. Um, they're two of the daughters uh, uh, who are amazing, awesome workers, come and volunteer. Rather, they were volunteering for a while. They've worked for the past couple of summers at Essex Farm, uh, and so has the father, who is uh, a very skilled craftsman. He's really good with uh, working on machines and doing electri- electrical work. And uh, so they do some work at the farm. They're also members of the farm, and uh, they've been a really big part of their Then they're horse people. They, they love horses. They have riding horses and some more courses, and they, uh, they, just, they just really, really like uh, horses in general. And they, uh, they knew I was in a bit of a spot, and they just incredibly graciously offered to try and help. Holy smokes. Yeah. So what's really the plan amazing. with Bear? Are you going to bring him in to work um, in bigger team in solo, or is he going to be a three-team, a three-team, a three-horse team? He, we'll, we'll, we'll see. He'll do all of the above. Um, so Matt currently has two, two Pertrons, and I'll bring Bear, who's also a Pertron, and, uh, which that's, that doesn't matter necessarily they're working together, but they, they just all happen to be. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he'll get probably paired up in, in just a team of two sometimes with, with math horses, and then sometimes we'll probably hitch up some three, and we'll see if, you know, fingers crossed, I think J.D. hopefully will, will uh, be back, and so then we can do multiple sets of twos and also maybe some fours for some bigger hitches. Bigger hitches. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to reflect briefly on um, how, how horses are playing into your love of farming or... The like, you know, this you move from Essex now to another horsepower farm, and where you're going with horse, like where, what's your dream? Where are you going with horses? Yeah, um, well, I, you know, it was one of the big reasons that I went to Essex Farm uh, three years ago was that uh, I, I thought I, I wanted to experience the diversity of, of farm work outside of what I was doing, which was primary vegetables, and um, I also wanted to work with the horses. I thought that I, I just thought from having visited Essex Farm back in 2006 that I would like that, and I wasn't sure that I'd never done it. Uh, and I did. I did. I really just, I like the energy of being around the horses. I like the way they smell. I like the way they sound. I like I like the pace of a day, that the, the kind of maintenance stuff you do with them on a regular basis from grooming and picking their feet to their feeding schedules. And So they're a really integral part in the, in the way I think about farming because if I want to even do a small acreage of vegetables, I still need pasture, um, and if I can, to make some hay as well instead of buying it in. So they affect the way I think about what kind of land base I'm looking for as far as my daily thoughts about farming. I mean, they're just they're, they're very integral to it. They're, they're a significant 
a part of my enjoyment of farming is, is working with those horses. Now, Tim, what do you say when people ask you if that's old-fashioned? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, it, it all depends on where they're coming from, I guess. It depends on who I'm talking to, if they're, if they're a farmer also or if they are, you know, a friend or if they're uh, somebody's parents or grandparents. And then I well, give what different about answers, a radio But I guess friend? in part they, they are, but in part I think that's not – I don't take that as a necessarily a positive or a negative comment. I think uh, I once heard – I read somewhere, rather, that the U.N. was describing organic farming or, or moving into the future with organic farming as sort of neo-traditional, uh, which I kind of like that term. And the idea is, well, you, you know, you're borrowing some concepts that work, that are good ideas that we've known about for hundreds, really thousands of years, depending on what it is from, you know, good fertility management being important to the soil, whether or not we actually follow through on that. But, I mean, these are old ideas. So having animals where you can grow your own fuel and where if you enjoy working with them and, um, and they provide fertility and other things like that, well, it, it, it's a, it makes sense. But finding that out will also make that fit within the whatever your current situation is, whether it's the, the marketing that you need to do or, or, or whatever else the cost of your different products are, your inputs. So um, I think that there's a, a really good place for some old ideas and, and also to be able to, uh, you know, revamp them and make them fit within the modern context. Well, the point that the oxen driving dudes always are making is how much more affordable a team of oxen is than yeah. and uh, and just uh, like a small set of implements is compared to I, a I tractor, think that's, I think especially that's, when the breakdown. That is down. true. I mean, you can get by with a lot less. It's there's there's a mix of I don't know. You know, it all depends on what areas you're in because finding the horses, a good horse team that you want, it can be a bit tricky. Or you know, if you don't have the land base and you have to buy in a lot of hay on a regular basis and. Um, you know, if you're feeding them but not working them very regularly, then you're putting money into it on a regular basis but not getting work out of the horses if you don't have enough work for them to do, um, whereas a tractor can be idle. Um, you know, I think there's pluses and minuses on both sides. And I would say as fuel costs increase and as some other things maybe happen, well, yeah, maybe there's some increased argument in favor of horses in terms of their efficiency and the ability to produce their food, their fuel. Um, it's still, I think, really important that you like working with them to some extent. I think you can still be a good teamster and farmer if you don't, but it's, I think in general your life experience and their life experience is going to be better if you like them. And that, that to me, I guess, is the, really that's the principal reason I work with them is because I like them. Yeah. It's nice. It's, being around with other people who also like horses is also an incentive. <laughs> yeah, all that's, the that's true. In one place. It's nice to have that community. Yeah. Um, so when you were learning about horses, you obviously had Mark and Kristen. What are some yeah. other places that aspiring horse farmers uh, might want to look to for inspiration and, and training? You said what are some other places? Yeah. Um, well, let's see. There's uh, So in addition to Essex Farm and Gray Rock Farms, which, uh, <laughs> where, where I've been involved at, um, there's a farmer named David Fisher, and uh, he is in Conway, Massachusetts at Natural Roots Farm. I think he is a fantastic, fantastic farmer and teamster and an amazing teacher. Um, so I, I very highly recommend anyone to look into, look into his farm if they're interested. Uh, there's the, there's the uh, Northeast Draft Animal Power Field Days, which is an annual event. Um, and if people were interested, they could look up something on I think it's the Draft Animal Power Network, D-A-P-N-E-T, DAPNET. Um, that's a site where they can get in touch with a whole slew of people who work oxen and horses and mules and, and such. Um, and that's a great place to go, really, to start, because from there you can network to all the other kind of people, the Nordells in Pennsylvania or Don Hughes in Marathon, New York, or all, the, all these different people 
and in Canada, there's some great teamsters and, and horse farmers up there. So it's I'd say try and find some central network and or get in touch with one or one of that, those people, myself or someone else, and, and uh, start branching out from there to, to get more contacts. So you're saying that it's uh, community building, that learning, that learning how to learning how to especially do horse farming is also about being open to new relationships and assuming the right posture for learning, which is especially with horses one of tremendous humility. Absolutely, absolutely. Working, I mean, well, just as a side note, working with horses is an incredible self-learning process. You, if, I think it's a very introspective thing to be involved in because you constantly are trying to figure out how to communicate to an animal to get it to do what you want it to do and figuring out what's working, what's not working, and why, and being aware of your environment and what they're doing and what you're doing. and It's, it's an amazing uh, self-learning process. But as far as that community aspect, I mean, I think that's farming in general. If you start farming, you're going to run up against the walls of what you don't know how to do, what you don't, you know, what pro- you'll bump into problems you don't know how to fix and situations that you're, you're ready for maybe or maybe not, but knowing uh, a network of people who, when you get into those situations, you don't feel as overwhelmed, you know who to call or who to send an email to or, or drive over to their to your farmer neighbor and say, what do you do when this happens to your cow's hoof or what do you do when this happens to your harness piece or what do you, you know, um, or your tractor or whatever it is, just to, to have that network and that community is, I think, essential to, to being a good farmer. Whether you're working well, it's so funny because I was listening to this program on the radio about all these towns in Texas, and you know it was like Paris, Texas, and um, Bug Tussle, Texas, and mm-hmm. um, one of them was like Truth and Consequences. Uh-huh. And I don't know. I ran into something the other day, and it was a problem, and it was a problem of my, if completely of my own creation, and. <laughs> Unlike in the wider world where I can, like, look at global, global capitalism or, you know, greed of others or, you know, bad systems. This one's on you. <laughs> it was totally on me. I had created my own problem. Yeah. And, um, man, you can't blame anyone except yourself, and it's so healthy to blame yourself for something sometimes. Hold yourself accountable. Yeah. I think if you do it to the right amount, you give yourself a sense of accountability and, and from their responsibility to fix it, and that's a... So long as it's not overwhelming or or constantly overwhelming, then it's then it's a growing thing. Yeah, man, it's uh it's a bad feeling, but it's also a good feeling. <laughs> yeah, and it, I I guess you know depending on your sensitivity to it or or whatever you know you work with horses, you're working with a live animal, and so when you make mistakes, you make mistakes on a on a living and feeling creature, which uh, which both makes you. Ideally, you try to make less and less mistakes as you go, so you're you're not causing confusion or pain or whatever else it might be, or hurting them in a in a bigger way. But also, uh, I you know you, I think you're driven to try and do that because they are living creatures, and you you do develop a relationship with them, then you care about them, and so it's it's very motivating to try to not make mistakes. But that, of course, is is uh, somewhat unavoidable to make. Some well, when the, yeah, and when the consequences are going to live as long as the horse. Okay, so last big question here. It's a okay. big one. Are you ready? Uh, well, let's. I guess so. We'll we'll see. <laughs> um, if you are creating now, you're in the second round of a full a full year full diet CSA. Yeah. In what way do you feel like that particular um, business and farm plan is reflective of your 
either critique of the f- current food system or desire for the future food system? And uh, mm-hmm. what role does what role does that shape a farm play for you philosophically? Okay. Um, well, how does it fit into my overall view on on a food system? Sort of is, the, is yeah. that the question? Or why did you choose it? What's what's in it for you? What's oh, okay. For? Well, I chose it because I I think again I think the, the the bottom line reason for why I'm really wanting to to make a lifestyle and a career and and etc. out of farming is that I I like it. And what I like best about farming is having a diversity of work in my days. Um, I like being around plants and the animals. I mean, I think aesthetically, seeing a field with some cows in it or horses in it, I just appreciate that and I enjoy it. I, I, I like the way they are to be around their sounds and smells. And um, But I also like being in the dirt and, and, and uh, working with the vegetables and, um, you know, if possible, some grains and hay. I mean, they're all just it's different kinds of work to do in a day, and it's they all fulfill some different needs and sort of also just aesthetic enjoyments. Um, but then there's the, the, the ecological reasons, having that fertility on the farm from, you know, moving their manure around if you're, if you're pasturing chickens or moving your animals around regularly or also the concentrated bedding packs from your dairy or your beef in the winter or your horses, et cetera. You know, having that on your farm, I think you've got the... You've got your fertility, you've got your aesthetics, you've got your, your different labor that you get to do, so your personal enjoyment. And then you also have a, a pretty cool and unique marketing tool for right now because there aren't a lot of that uh, those kinds of farms happening right now. So, so you've also positioned yourself potentially to be financially successful. Um, so as far as the bigger, that's why I do it. As far as, like, the bigger reasons and how it fits in, you know, I don't know. I, don't, I think this makes sense. I think it's a great model, and I think... Uh, it's a cool, a cool idea. Also, on on a at least a sort of a micro farm. I don't know how it scales down or up. The two farms I'm I've been at are around 270 to 500 acres. It'll be interesting to see if people try and do it on even bigger acreage and even smaller. Um, and uh, but I don't think you have to have it all on the same site. I think the point is more to have some of these things together. You could have a livestock farm near a vegetable farm and still have some of the, you know, the ecological and fertility, et cetera, benefits there. It's just, uh, I think it's relevant to the bigger food system whether or not this model needs to be perpetuated en masse. Well, it's really exciting to me just to see new models and um, and models that are so attractive and very capable people uh, working to perfect new models and continue expanding the range of repertoire of possibility for local food. Yeah. I feel like the next phase is, going to be like really radical cooperation, like inter-valley or inter-regional cooperative. Yeah, Yeah, I think you're right. That's going to be really important. Well, cool. So tell me, where are you going on Wednesday? What what should we tell our what should we tell oh, our listeners to go to? Geez, I'm I am going to a premiere of uh, the documentary Small Farm Rising. Uh, ben Stechholz made that made this particular movie as a follow up to his earlier one called I Think Three Farms, uh, but it's in New York City, and uh, it is a uh, I think it's in I want to say it's in Tribeca. Tribeca Cinema, seventy five Varick Street, New York City. Okay, there it is. It's at 7 p.m. this Wednesday, and it's called Small Farm Rising. And if you're in the city or interested in coming in, everybody should should make their way there. It's a it's a fantastic film. He's got amazing amazing footage. Uh, it's it's just very beautiful to watch. It really shows us, I don't know, the, the the beautiful physical aspects of farming. And uh, you also get to hear about some of these three farms that are located up in the Adirondacks, which are uh, each each interesting in their own way. And it's a, it's a it's a fun film, and it's just fun to watch. And it's it's good too. And also, I got to say, I like Ben. Ben Sexualty is a great guy, and I think the film's great, so I, I really recommend it. 
So that's Small Farm Rising. Small Farms Rising. You can check out their website. Um, they had a cool Kickstarter up that you can watch, and I think that they're selling the DVDs already. So yep. if you don't make it over there, um, if you happen to be organizing a you know farm film festival or we're a big fan of Greenhorns or in any other way are interested to pursue particularly the kind of visual and aesthetic frontiers of sustainable food, I give it three th- three thumbs up. Excellent. Awesome, Tim. Well, I appreciate so much all you do, and I hope I get to see you soon. And uh, keep strong up there. Hey, thank you very much. It was a, it was a pleasure to, to do the interview, and I hope to see you soon as well. All right, everybody. Join us again next week for another episode of Greenhorns Radio's Radio. <laughs> and um, check out the blog. There's a lot of action going on right now, a lot of jobs, a lot of farm jobs. They all need to get filled. Okay, bye-bye.